Songwriter and facial hair enthusiast Ian Fraser Kilmister once rhythmically shouted the words, Soon the door closes for good or evil. Are you the ice queen or do you want to burn? Here's see before you the kingdom of the worm. Uh-oh. Is that an earthquake? Let me out. I'm trapped. It's the Mongolian death worm. Welcome to another F-A-B-U-L-O-U-S episode of Cracking Cryptids and Curios. We welcome all of our curious listeners back. It is your two favorite cryptid crackers coming at you with more supernatural excitement. On second thought, we may want to workshop cryptid crackers. Right, Angel? Most definitely, because I'm not one. <laughs> I'm a professor, first of all. <laughs> yes. First and foremost, PhD. Today, we are tunneling deep into the Gobi Desert in search of the Mongolian deathworm. Will the deathworm burrow into our hearts and minds, usurping the crown of Skunk Ape as the reigning, defending champion of the cryptids? We will find out. But first, let's touch upon some newsworthy bits in the world around us. So this first story, it is from uh, coasttocoastam.com, and it states, Top States for Bigfoot Sightings Revealed. So very much skunk ape getting knocked down a few pegs if if it's coming to, you know, the world's recollection that he is now being spotted more. Let's find out. This does not affect past scores. All right. <laughs> Whatever he's been given is what stays it's there in stone. Forever. It is in the rubric of power. The, the rubric <laughs> has spoken. It cannot exactly. be changed. Article goes on to say an enlightening study of reported Sasquatch sightings determined which states rank among the best places to possibly see a Bigfoot. Developed by the website Satellite Internet, the project compared the database of reports from the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization, or BFRO, against respective state populations and produced a ranked list. As one might expect, at the top of the chart was Sasquatch Hotspot Washington State with a whopping 8.9 sightings for every 100,000 residents. Rounding out the top five for Bigfoot sightings by population were Oregon, West Virginia, Idaho, and Montana. At the bottom of the list in descending order were Delaware, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and ranked dead last, Nevada. Other noteworthy tidbits from the study were that by virtue of their sizable population, California, Florida, Ohio, and Illinois were among the top five states for sightings of Sasquatch overall, with Washington topping that list, likely due to uh, what one assumes is a fairly healthy number of Bigfoot running around the area. And oddly enough, the only state not listed is Hawaii, which apparently has not logged any sightings of the legendary cryptid in the databases used for this study. What are your thoughts on that one, Professor? I'd like to add that the problem with the Bigfoot sightings in Florida is that we have this rogue fringe researcher running around telling people he's seen one and then that's how he makes his business this is his business i'm not gonna name him i think we all know who we're talking about the reason the numbers are so high are probably because of him claiming to have spotted them and selling In inflating the numbers some inflation yes, going on that's right he's mm -hmm. probably just seen maybe one of those escaped chimps or something <laughs> back or from the, andrew yes. Those damn, those damn Phoenician domesticated apes running about, too. You never yeah. know. My favorite, inconclusive. <laughs> yeah, so just just putting it out there. So interesting study going on. Just to look that certain states, very much more likely to see a Bigfoot. Nevada, not so much. He's not liking that, uh, I guess, that gambling society. I, I think it's the bright lights. The bright lights keep them away. They don't <laughs> yeah. attract. <laughs> Our other story for uh, today, something I, th I thought it was pretty interesting. It is titled, Artist Wants to Warn the Past About the Future. And this one was found on unexplainedmysteries.com. It goes on to say, What if it were possible to send a message back in time and warn humanity about upcoming disasters? 
Some pretty terrible things have happened in the last 100 years or so, from natural disasters and pandemics to wars and genocide. There are many tragedies that we have failed to stop. One man, however, Joe Davis, is determined to change all that. For the last 10 years, he has been attempting to achieve what many would consider impossible, to send a simple message back into the year 1935 to warn our past selves about all wars, genocides, and other disasters so that they will have a better chance of stopping them from happening. Known as Swan Song, the message is a simple Morse code transmission lasting about an hour. To send it back in time, Davis wants to transmit it towards Cygnus X1, a black hole 6,000 light years away. The idea is that if the signal hits the time distortion edge, it will be sent back in time and reflected back towards the Earth, where it will be picked up, hopefully during the correct time period. If the idea sounds insane, that's because it most certainly is. There is no evidence that it is possible to actually send something back in time in this way or at all. While it's unclear exactly how viable Davis actually believes the idea to be, he remains adamant that the message will one day be sent. He does acknowledge, however, that even if the plan works and someone in 1935 actually receives the signal, they may not believe the message is factual or that it is from the future. Ultimately, it is an interesting thought exercise, but something that's unlikely to work in practice. For I mean, there's so many things wrong with this guy because... <laughs> He's trying so hard to do something that anyone in the know realizes that they don't need to go through all that trouble. I mean, this is a scientific term. It's a very, um, you know, well-known throughout what we do here. And it's called reverse ghosting. Yes it's, yes, it's the simple ability to just project yourself into the past. And then when you return, you will have changed the, the future. One side effect that I've seen related to reverse ghosting, however, is that it alters everything and sends you into a, a different reality, like a parallel reality, and you exit your own reality because of what you had changed in the past. Yeah, so let's just hope that those people who have performed this achieve their goals, and I, I wish them well on their journeys. <laughs> yes, very well. Godspeed, Joe Davis. One uh, one thing that I did sort of think about when I was reading this, 6,000 light years away, so really 12,000 light years, because the signal has to get there and then come back. It has to go to 1935. I don't know why 1935 was specifically <laughs> chosen. It's, it's not described in the article. It also has to go into the hands of presumably a like altruistic and, and, and well-behaved being that will use that information for good. So we don't have like a back to the future Biff using the sports almanac to get rich himself. We don't have some bad faith actor using this information about the future to, you know, use that for their own evil gain. So well, did the article mention what the Morse code message was? No, just that it was a, a simple hour long Morse code transmission. Simple. I don't know how simple a hour long transmission <laughs> is, but what can be a simple hour-long message that you send back? I mean, he wanted to warn people of the past of all the stuff that's happened. So what could you possibly send back in time and that these people know that, hey, I'm from the, this message is from the future and bad stuff is going to happen to you guys. Like, yeah. come on. Hold on to your asses. <laughs> I also believe that even if this message was received, who's going who's gonna to take, take it seriously? It's like... You know, when, when these um, astronomers, or was it astronomers? I don't know who it was. Scientists. We'll keep it as generic as, as possible. <laughs> the scientists receive that, that, you know, that weird signal from space. And they're like, oh, what's that? That, that was it. Nothing came from that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that, that props up every once in a while. Like, ooh, radio transmission from exactly. outer space. And it could have been more It was nothing. But... Yep. Or it was just a natural radio wave or something like that. So uh, at least to give Joe Davis some credit, he does uh, acknowledge that the people in 1935, if it does make it to them, they might not believe that it is real. So you just got to hope. Or maybe they have received the message and this is the outcome. And this, is, this is what it this did is, to us. Exactly. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. I don't want to think of that. <laughs> you know what I do want to think about, Professor? What's that? The Mongolian death worm. Oh, That's what boy. I want to think about. 
Before we dig into the deathworm, let's first mention what exactly the physical reports of such a creature are. In 1922, Mongolian Prime Minister Dambin Bazar is said to have detailed the worm as being shaped like a sausage about two feet long, has no head nor legs. Furthermore, British biologist Carl Schuker, in his book The Unexplained and Illustrated Guide to the World's Paranormal Mysteries, says that it is a large bat worm up to one meter or three feet long and dark red in color with spike-like projections at both ends. Some reports even suggest a rarer yellow version, variety amongst the death worms. Most reports indicate the creature has no eyes and the head and the end of the animal are indistinguishable. Comparatively, very different in stature from our cryptid overlord, the skunk ape, and very much so from the entity now known as the failed usurper, the Mothman. What are your thoughts on this one, Angel? Well, it's interesting that you pointed out that there might be a variant that's yellow, because I have some information about that. It may not be the the death worm, but, you know, we'll get, we'll get into that later. The first thing that popped into my mind about this, like, rarer yellow version is the idea in Pokemon that there's, there's shiny versions of Pokemon that are, like, harder to find. That was the first thing that popped into my head. It's a, a shiny version of Mongolian Deathworm. But we'll find out what your thoughts are a little bit later, it sounds that, like. That did not pop into my head because I am not uh, a, a young child. <laughs> Yikes. Yikes. <Just laughs> dunking on Pokemon <laughs> fandom here. Not not good. Don't worry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make myself look even worse later. with our application of cotton eye joe's razor we will once again define the relation where did he come from where did he go so where exactly did the mongolian death worm come from there are a few theories as to the origins of the creature some sort of undiscovered snake or lizard that has eluded researchers for decades seems to be the primary focus of theories it's just some some creature that we have not identified and it's just a sneaky son of a gun and we can't get our hands on it. Another one is that it's part of what's called the Amphisbanidae family. The common name is a, a warm lizard. They're limbless lizards with carnivorous diets. Warm lizards' uh, bodies bear rings of scales, which give them a warm-like appearance. The heads are massively constructed and used for burrowing with powerful jaws and large recurved teeth used for seizing prey. So. Another idea that's just this worm lizard that happens to live in the Gobi Desert. The third theory is that it's some sort or a variety of a specialized version of a sand boa. So again, just another variation of a snake, sort of similar to theory one. The last one that I have uh, found for theories, this one I, I think it's kind of interesting. It's something a little roguish in its ideas. So the idea is that the Mongolian death worm is something called a polycate or an annelid worm normally attributed to living in the ocean. So some geologists consider that the Gobi Desert was once the bottom of the sea in ancient times and have actually found fossilized coral heads, sea lilies, and various shells in the Gobi Atali province. Polycates are no stranger to extreme adaptations. They're found in the coldest temperatures of the abyssal plain, which I must say is the most heavy metal sounding of all the levels of the sea (laughs) at 20,000 feet. And it's also been found in hydrothermal vents. So then the idea being that it became accustomed to what eventually became the Gobi Desert. So somehow this sea worm became a land worm. uh, And then over time, over ages, became now the Mongolian death worm. Any of those sort of strike out to you as interesting? Um, Actually, all of them do. It's interesting that we're talking about the, the Mongolian death worm because several months ago, I heard the term legless lizard, and I thought that was, somebody was making a joke on snakes. And then I looked it up, and I'm like, this is a thing. They're, they're actually legless lizards, and they're somehow different from snakes. You know, I'm a professor in cryptid stuff, not actual animals. Not biology. <laughs> <laughs> not, you're yeah. not a zoologist. Exactly. So, I mean, so it's, yeah, it, it was interesting when I started looking into that because it, it would imply that the, the, the death worm is a reptile. Right. Or, or the snake, uh, the, the other one being the snake. But then if you go into the other part where it's like a worm, well, then it's like, well, which one is it? Is it a reptile or is it is it a worm? Right. Yep. So or a snake. Well, I mean, <laughs> well, yeah. So what's it's, behind door number three? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
that the the Gobi Desert the being an ocean and then and then the animal evolving I guess is actually a very interesting theory that I had not come across and I'm liking it more and more the more I think about it I think it's, yeah, I thought that one was pretty cool yeah it's cool to think that there's this animal that lived in the ocean then the ocean becomes a desert and then it says all right I'm just gonna live in the sand now and continue to survive yeah, the, the, the polychaetes have, have already proven that they're amazingly adaptive creatures, being in super cold temperatures in the abyssal plain and then living in hydrothermal vents where hardly anything else lives. They, uh, they upped their game, maybe, and burrowed into the Gobi Desert, became our Mongolian deathworm. It's, it's a theory. We can say that. So as far as our ever-related portion of the Cotton Eye Joe razor, where did he go? The creature came to Western attention through the writings of American paleontologist Roy Chapman Andrews in his book from the 1920s, On the Trail of Ancient Man. And in that book, he detailed uh, being told about the Agorhai Jorge, I believe it's pronounced, not claiming 100% at all that that is the proper pronunciation. But I ended up tracking down this book and uh, read the section that's related to Deathworm in the chapter labeled In the City of the Living God. And I suggest everyone out there do the same because it's really a very interesting book. The entire book itself is fascinating, as are any sort of, you know, scientific exercises from the early 1900s or earlier. They just include a lot of interesting stuff. Things like reading about representations of cultures in the past, they're pretty eye-opening, you know, especially from an American perspective that wasn't, I guess, inclined to know about these things. Things are very bluntly said. You know, for instance, Andrew says the Mongolians never bathe and that they smelled of animal fat. You know, things I wasn't expecting going into a book looking for the Mongolian deathworm. In relation to the deathworm, though, he claims any other researcher would fail to identify the creature, but he could simply because it had been mentioned to him so often. So the sheer amounts of times that it was brought up to his attention made it noteworthy enough for him to put into his book. He then says everyone he talked to firmly believed in its existence. As the previously mentioned Prime Minister Dambin Bazar had not seen it, he told Andrews the cousin of his late wife's sister had seen it. Andrews goes on to write that he believes the Mongolians see the deathworm to be what the dragon is to the Chinese. He then promised to capture the creature if they were just happened to cross paths. The most interesting part, though, is that he was told to wear dark glasses so that the disastrous effects of even looking at so poisonous a creature would be neutralized, and that he would have to use long steel collecting forceps to capture it. He was happy to do this, of course, as it was what seemingly granted him permission to open up what he called Outer Mongolia for his expedition. I think my favorite part of Roy Chapman Andrews' description in this book is Dan Bin Bazaar's Spaceballs-esque, <laughs> what's your relation? <laughs> like, uh, I don't know, very, very, um, I guess, distant relation storytelling in that uh, encounter the only thing I, I i got a i took a look at this book too and it you know as you mentioned it may contain some outdated uh ideas you know oh, he, he explained the uh the smell <laughs> of the animal fat being that they always ate with their hands so never using utensils it was just the, the just, smell of it, meat was always on them it always comes up with this air of you know we're so much better than these <laughs> yes. mongolians oh the and whole book was like that it, there the, was a whole section on on religion oh gosh and and yeah it's especially like imagine you you're a mongol and your aunt your parents were mongols and their parents before them were Mongol, and then, you know your, your whole ancestry is in mongolia and and Throughout history, they've been passing down this story of this worm that that lives there, and then be careful, it's gonna, you know, it's poisonous, whatever. So you grow up with these things, and then suddenly, here comes this foreigner American, and he's like, "Oh, a worm." I, I guess. I mean, I don't. I've never seen it before. It might be real, but I think it's not. Yeah. Kind of, you I, know. He, like, even, he even flat out says that he doesn't believe it's real. In <laughs> exactly. The, in, it's like, screw yeah. you, dude. He's <laughs> like. Like sure, I'll look for your two foot sausage in the <laughs> desert, and uh, and I'll look I cool doing it, it with shades. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but yeah, for for him, very much so. A sure, I'll do it just so he could get his expedition where he wanted to get it to look for dinosaurs. Yeah, so, I don't know if you, I don't know if you kept reading, but at some point there was this guy that wanted that they brought along an anarchist, 
<laughs> yes. And he's like, it's like trying some to guy smuggle they found. In, he's trying to Drugs. smuggle in strychnine. <laughs> yes. You had to sell to the Mongolians. And and then he was like, no way. I'm not I'm not screwing up the expedition for you, dude. Get the hell out of here. Yeah. And then and I think it was pretty much like um, he, he the guy was like, but where the hell am I supposed to go? <laughs> like, I need this. I need this job. Yeah. So, by all accounts of of the story, the Mongolian deathworm is still in the Gobi Desert, just always evading capture. I found that June and July are typically the times of the year that is most often seen, but I could not track down any specific 2020 sightings. So, as far as where did he go, he's still out there to be found for that lucky, lucky winner to find him and then most likely be killed by it. (laughs) The lucky foreigner. Yes, yeah, yeah. The lucky Westerner that's there invading. <laughs> Most of the people I've seen that go um, on expeditions to search yes. for this thing have all been, you know, Westerners. White, There's this guy white named people. Ri- Richard Freeman. <laughs> yeah. You said it, not me. Uh- <laughs> uh, Josh Gates, on uh, I think it was on Expedition... <laughs> unknown uh he he did a a maybe destination truth one of the one of the shows that he has he went multi-day search maybe multi-week search for the mongolian deathworm (laughs) turned up nothing there's a guy named ivan mccurl czech dude apparently he wrote about it that uh, the englishman shuck i keep forgetting his name carl oh carl shucker shucker yeah he uh he wrote a book you mentioned the book and then he i guess they reissued the book under the name The Beasts That Hide From Man. And there's a chapter a, a on... A much better name. <laughs> <laughs> there's the chapter on the death form, and I have access to this book. And I can see some interesting facts that have been left out in most accounts. I don't know if that's something you're interested in listening to, but I'm interested in. <laughs> yes. Because I have the PhD. Expel the knowledge upon us, well, professor. Well, first of all, the the... They have a artist representation of the death worm, I guess, in by Ivan or in his book. And I don't know who who's played this. I don't know if you've played this, the Legend of Zelda, the original Nintendo yep. uh, game. There's this little creature called a Moldorm. It's like a worm. And in the in the manual of the book, it, it has a little drawing of a, a worm. It looks much better than the actual in-game graphics. And <laughs> the damn artist representation looks exactly like that worm. So I'm starting to think like, hmm, like I wonder who else took. Did he plagiarize the NES <laughs> uh, Zelda was, manual? He <laughs> went. He went. No, he went forward in time, <laughs> and then went back to his time. Oh, no. so his his drawing came be yeah before Legend came before. of Zelda. So Nintendo's the the shame shameful ones here, possibly. Or or you know getting inspired. Yeah. Which you know will come yeah, across probably. later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Okay, so the, one of the things revealed in this book, because this guy became friends with Ivan, and he had, you know, lunch with him or something, and then Ivan just said, here are all my papers that I haven't published. Look. He he was just waiting for a moment to drop his <laughs> Mongolian deathworm knowledge on somebody, and Shukur just happened to be the right dude. I mean, the internet didn't exist, and I'm sure if it did, he would have just put it all out there on those, you know, forums that we all are familiar with. But yeah, in this case, I'm pretty sure he was waiting for somebody to just ask him about the worm. He's like, oh my God, here, here, look at this. <laughs> so the worm is supposedly lives in certain areas near this plant, a highly poisonous parasitic plant known as Cynomorium song- songaricum. From the, and it's, it, it, it's a parasitic plant on the Saxol plant's roots, which is also poisonous. It says, it says it right here. One old woman called Puret, okay, claimed that when the worm attacks, it raises half its body up through the sand, inflates itself, and secretes a bubble of poison from one end, squirting it forth in a stream at its unfortunate victim. So that's interesting. Like, it inflates itself sort of. Yeah. I, thought, I, thought I wonder that. if it's like, if it's preparing the, the poison spit or if it's just like making itself bigger. I, I, I imagine like like a cobra, like it's it's mm-hmm. fanning out its ribs. Yeah, getting ready to strike. It's like, you know this is the moment you're about to die. Yeah, Luckily exactly. for the old lady, she did not. 
<laughs> well, you know, the, a lot of all these stories are, are, you know, somebody says, oh, I know a guy that this happened to. Just like or, the prime minister is. Yeah. Uh, every, everyone's story late is the wives, same way. Cousin, sister, right, whatever it was. Yeah. Everyone's story uh, is the same way. Oh, I know my this guy's cousin did this or this, you know, mm-hmm. there is also mention that the Kazakhstan folks also are familiar with the worm. So. I'm also wondering, maybe we should we should rename it. It can't be the Mongolian death worm if, if everyone in Kazakhstan knows about it. The Kazakhstan death worm? I don't know. <laughs> Just the, the death worm proper? Asian death worm. The Asian death worm. I don't know. That's the first I've ever heard of it also being in Kazakhstan. This is the same for me, and that's the only I, mention of yeah. it. I've been dropping some seriously secretive knowledge, I guess, on yep. to Carl Shooker. So it's a interesting book. It has more chapters on other things. So if anyone wants to pick that one up, go ahead. Do uh, do you know when that came out? By the chance? Book? It's, yeah. Let's see if I can. Be interesting to, to know when when Ivan was holding this information. Ivan himself during the 1990s. Oh, that's when the book came out. Yeah. No, I guess it said, oh, it went through the expeditions. So I, I retract my previous statement. I think he did steal that drawing from the <laughs> Zelda game. <laughs> so Zelda, yeah. <laughs> this changes everything. <laughs> wow, this is really recent, 96. <laughs> oh Maybe my I should have done my research. <laughs> <laughs> of course, though, they, they, they have not had any film or photographic evidence of it. Yeah, and one of the, I think, most interesting things in just doing research on the death worm was that I could never find, like, anything Mongolian firsthand accounts or even, like, a Mongolian primary source or, like, a book written by a Mongolian that has since been translated to English. Not not one single thing did I find like that. And I just thought that was interesting. That is quite interesting. Especially for how how Andrews put it that to the Mongolians, it was like the dragon to the Chinese. So you would imagine that there would be a lot of literature on on the thing, but I don't know how much of a market there is in, you know, Western society for Mongolian books. I don't know. I don't know about those things. (laughs) Well, I mean, why put out Mongolian books when you can just put out your own, right? Yep. Just make your own stuff up. (laughs) Colonize every country in the world. Yep. (laughs) This isn't your book. It's my book now. (laughs) This is the American way. Yes. So now that we have uh, explored where the Mongolian death worm has come from and where he went, now we go on to our favorite part of the show, the rubric of power, and we will see exactly where the Mongolian death worm rates against our current champion, the skunk ape, who is sitting, sitting pretty at a 12 and a half for his score. So we'll see, go through a little bit of the nuances of the death worm and rank them, and then we'll see exactly where he averages between our scores. So the first thing that we always look for in the rubric of power is the power itself of the cryptid. So where where are you sitting, Angel, on the powers of the death worm? Okay, so as mentioned before, the, the death worm is, can spit some sort of venom, but it can also it's also corrosive, so it can be like an acid of sorts. Yeah, it wasn't clear to me either. It's like a poison, venom, or acid, or all of the above, or none of. <laughs> it was very interesting how everything was termed interchangeably. But what's interesting is, once again, in this book by uh, Shucker, oh, he talks about Mongolian authors. So as you... Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. It's like so, it was set up. <laughs> but it wasn't. <laughs> so this Mongolian author, his name is S. Chambaldzor. Yeah, yep. Well-known yep. Mongolian author. <laughs> and he says that he added, he had written about it. In a, this it translates to Braid of Mongolian Secrets, a book released in 1990. I don't know if that book is translated or if, if they translated the title, but. It doesn't look like it's translated. One thing this does show me, 1990s, a strong decade for the death worm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Books coming out. <laughs> it, it's true. It says, he added a further twist to this tale, mentions uh, a sighting, essentially. A sighting that pr- confirms what I just mentioned, the, that it lives by the Saxaw poisonous plants, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about, you know, three feet long. 
And he says, the book adds, it added a further twist to this tale by including a very curious report concerning what appears to be a death worm with wings. My God. Yeah. So, and then they quote the the testimony. It was a, of course, it's a eyewitness testimony. Uh, Shepherd L. Chorlu from Chongor Gobi in the South Gobi country stated, here we see an interesting creature. Its body looks like salami, half of which is taken up by the head, and on the rear it has wings. I have seen it twice on both occasions. It was lying dead at the well. So, wait. So this guy saw, or this person saw a dead one and and didn't do anything to it. I I guess <laughs> just left it there. <laughs> I'll leave you be at the well, death worm. <laughs> so so the question is, can this thing fly? I mean, nobody's mentioned anything about flying, but. It has wings, so it's it's a strange. Or is it know, like turkey flying? Like it just sort of glides right. a little bit or is and it, crashes. Is, is it, right? Is it like a flightless thing with wings? Right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe you know, here's here's what I'm thinking. Maybe those wings are like fins, right? Instead of swimming in the ocean, you, he uses the wings to swim under in the ocean in the in the sand. Yeah, sort of maybe like a mud skipper. Y- yeah, like. <laughs> She's using its little fin arms to crawl on the on the on the mud. Interesting. Yeah, but that being said, I mean that's all it's got, right? Just acid spit, venomous spit. Oh, and then there's apparently a, the ability to send electricity. <laughs> oh, and that ability, like oh yeah, <laughs> yeah it could just, <laughs> which it I could think just... is is almost even cooler than the uh, snake venom spit. Like this thing can shoot. Uh, discharge electricity from its body. Come on. Which is, it's actually interesting because when you meant, now that you mentioned the, the, the Gobi once being an ocean and this being a polychaete, you know, the electric eel is a fish. So it's like, hmm, maybe this worm can electrify things. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a lot of ocean. things lining up here for the but, death worm being but, the uh, ancient Gobi sea creature. But the problem is anyone knows that electricity's out in the air is not going to affect you, right? You have to touch the thing to feel it. Unless, you know, if it's underwater, you might feel it. But in sand, it's not going to conduct electricity. I don't see how that's useful unless you're walking around with metal. And then, oh, no, I'm shocked. Yeah. Like uh, picking up trash with those, like, uh, those sticks <laughs> with the, the things on the, the, the pointers on the end. Like, stab it. In the middle of the desert. <laughs> I'm, go with, these I'm just people. cleaning the desert to trash, guys. These Come on. littering. <laughs> so... Yeah, with all of those things, I gave it a two. You know, I am differing wildly from your <laughs> uh, from your breakdown here, Professor. So some things that I looked into, I think repeatedly said that just merely touching the death worm would result in death. So either because of the poisonous, venomous, corrosive acidness of the creature or its ability to discharge the electricity was so potent it would kill you. Comparing it to other things I looked into... I looked into the most venomous snakes out there, and the one that I found is called the Inland Taipan, which a single bite from this snake's venom can kill upwards of 100 adult men in 45 minutes with a single bite of what it produces in a single bite. That would say that the death worm, just by touching it, is worse than the Inland Taipan, which can kill 100 people in just the, the bite's worth of venom. For me, that, that, that put it up there just just touching the thing kills you then adding in the venom that it shoots or the poison or the acid whatever you want to call it it can kill you from distance it can kill you in in melee range it can discharge electricity it's also said to be lethal the other thing that i looked at was the uh sort of my own theory so i'm gonna sort of explain this a bit so in roy andrews telling uh, of of talking with the prime minister of mongolia of the time in the 1920s and at that time, there was no talk of the electrical abilities. So either since the 1920s, the death worm has been attributed that ability to discharge electricity, or Andrews was specifically not told about the electrical capabilities of the death worm. He was told to specifically use steel forceps to pick up the death worm. The prime minister, Dan Bin Bazar, would have known that it had electrical capabilities he would have specifically told andrews to pick it up with metal to conduct the electrical discharge of the death worm thus killing him 
I don't know exactly why he would do that, but a dead American adventurer who also was backed financially in part by J.P. Morgan, of all people, could have had huge potential to solidify the Deathworm standing in the world and even bump up the aura of Mongolia to entice, you know, oh gosh, this, the Gobi Desert is a dangerous place. I shouldn't go there. Or conversely, I should go there. But realistically at the time, Andrews had to work very, very, very hard to get into Mongolia, even for this expedition. So it wasn't due to uh, political reasons. It, it was a very hard place to get into. I just thought it was interesting. The idea that possibly, you know, prime minister trying to be a sneaky little snake and uh and get chapman killed are you trying to say they put a hit out on my boy chapman i think they did (laughs) i think it might may have been possible my overall score because of the insane ability of the death worm to kill i gave the death worm a four that is ridiculous (laughs) four my god i went to a four i mean skunk ape He's not, he's, he might touch you, but he's not killing you with just his mere touch. <laughs> you won't find a skunk ape by a well with wings, and then he flies at you and kills you by <laughs> ramming you. <laughs> so, I don't know. He's up there. All right. All right. So, our, our next one that we always go into, let's see how we rank here. Detectability, <laughs> I'll have you go first. All right. Because it seems that we are very clearly at odds here on the death worm. <laughs> well... The thing about the, the the death worm is there's definitely plentiful eyewitness eyewitness accounts. You can go to anywhere in Mongolia, ask one of the natives or the locals there about the death worm, and they will tell you a story about the death worm. They will tell you about their cousin's friend or their uncle's friend or their uncle's uncle, but they will have a story on this damn thing. And it's because of these things that I've given it a score that you probably aren't expecting. Because What's that? (laughs) Well, see, the score that I gave it, this score that I am going to tell you now, so the the there's no again there are no photo, there's no photographic evidence of this thing there's no, nothing there on film zero evidence zero Make evidence that clear. zero there evidence. is no corpses no bodies found again there's that one guy that said he saw it dead but then like okay like what are you doing why why didn't you pick it up yeah, or nothing I, th- maybe, I think he even said twice he saw it dead uh, or two maybe, second encounter with it or something I mean are they known for killing uh, by touch even when they're dead. I don't know. Maybe that's why he's like, I'm out of here. I'm not going to that well. <laughs> so that's why I gave it a three. A three? Okay. So I was not too far off the way I looked at it. So by all reports that I've seen, the death worm is entrenched in Mongolian culture. So similar to what you were saying. And I, I focus very much on what Andrews in his book was telling of Dan Bin Bazar. The prime minister, he was born in 1874. Now, follow my crazy math here. A conservative <laughs> guess for a creature that Andrews claimed was culturally significant as the dragon to the Chinese, you can expect a young Dan Bin Bazaar to have known about the creature, say, at, at least by 1880, if he was born in 1874. So uh, a young six-year-old boy learning about his own culture most likely would have learned about something by then so entrenched into his culture. That was 140 years ago from the the time of this recording. So now for something to be culturally ingrained or significant, it takes a long time. So another conservative guess would put that at least at another 100 years prior to him learning of the of the creature or of Dan Bin Bazaar even being born. At the very least, altogether now of 240 years ago of this being possibly entrenched into Mongolian culture to then be comparated to the, the dragon in Chinese culture. In that time, 240 years, there has not been a single piece of evidence. No skeleton, assuming that it's a vertebrate. No molted skins, no, no killed ones and made leathered skins of. Uh, no trophies of it at all. I could not find a single strip of physical evidence for this creature. There have been specific expeditions to Mongolia to try to find the creature. Every single thing has become empty-handed. Angel, I'm doing it. And I'm, I'm going to say it now. 
we're going there. Episode one, we said that it may be impossible for this to ever happen. However, those words were uttered before the Mongolian death worm even entered my life. So Mongolian death worm or MDW should be known as MDW. He is getting a four in detectability. Oh my goodness. Yes. Just take a moment to pause and reflect upon the first four of detectability. It happened in the third episode. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm of the belief, and I don't know if I mentioned this before. I can't remember that far back, but I am of the belief that in order for a cryptid to get a four in, in detectability is that nobody ever talks about it. Nobody's ever talked about it. Nobody's even brought it up. In other words, it, it just cannot be done. Yet. <laughs> exactly. It cannot be done, damn it. No, I, to me, this, this one was so culturally ingrained in Mongolia that it has to go back centuries. And to not have any evidence, just stories of it, it's, we're on a whole other territory here of, of cryptid. <laughs> All right. So I've given two fours so far. The the downfall of MDW is about to begin, though. So let me hear what you have to say about the, the lore and mystique of MDW. Okay, so the lore and mystique, again, as we've been talking about, it revolves around the Mongolian citizens. Anything lore-related is coming from these people telling their eyewitness accounts. Otherwise, there's nothing, right? The one thing is... That they all have in common is they tend to be, the worm is three feet long. Sometimes, uh, some have said that it can go up to five feet, you know, if they want to exaggerate. It's venomous. It can spit poison. It can electrocute you. A venomous electric sausage. (laughs) Yeah. And then the color. They talk about the color. They usually describe it red. But I have a few instances here. And you mentioned that it might have been uh, uh, described as yellow. And I have one here where they mention it as white, which is very wow, strange. we're going to third level here. Yeah. So the thing about the yellow one is that I think maybe they're conflating one of those uh, sightings. For example, there is one eyewitness account in which a local herdsman talks about three creatures that he had encountered in his, um, you know, daily activities or whatever. A hedgehog, which is normal enough, except he describes the hedgehog as inflating, kind of like a blowfish. Oh, damn. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know what that's about. Um, he talks about the, the death worm, and he, he literally, he just says, oh, it's it's it looks like an intestine filled with blood and travels underground. Like, okay, nobody knows that. Come on. But then he talks about the first one. He talks about this this worm he calls the Shar Korkoi, which is called which is yellow worm. And he was talking about how he was riding with his camel, and then he sees something that was um, a yellow a young yellow animal in front of him. The camel started to freak out, and then other uh, uh, yellow weird long creatures started coming out of holes. So he turned around and fled with the camel. And he says he looked back and he saw like 50 creatures following him. It was a, a herd of death worms. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, except he's saying that the, the he met some nomads riding with him. And they told him there were shark corkoys living underground. And they seem to be treating these yellow worms separately as death worms. Is this our first sort of Bigfoot skunk ape, you know, diversity or terminology difference? Maybe. I mean... The, the fact that they they have the term for it, you know, to distinguish it from the other word that means death worm or intestine worm, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's to me, it sounds like Mongolia just is full of worms <laughs> <laughs> living in the sand. More reason not to go to the Gobi Desert. <laughs> There's <laughs> packs of 50 worms that are going to chase you and spit acid on you or poison or venom or electrify you. <laughs> yeah. And then there's that, you know, the mention that it was, you know, one, one, one story said that, you know, it's white. That's all it has to say about that. So I don't know. The Um, white one would look like some sort of obscene and (laughs) like hellish maggot that is just on the desert, like wiggling after you and would be absolutely terrifying. It could have been an an albino death worm. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> better theory than my hellish <laughs> abomination of a maggot. A giant maggot. Um, so with all that, you know, it's all the stories are pretty much similar and there's no really there's no other than that, there's nothing behind it. There's no lore. They it all the information we get on this worm is very almost like like this is a real animal. This is like I believe it. I believe this thing exists. It's just a very good uh, uh, knows how to hide well. Yeah, it's a sneaky son of a gun. So with, with and when it comes to animals that exist, you know, you're listing facts about them. It's gonna be boring. You know, there's not it's not like oh these this creature was created by some sort of spirit or anything like that because this is an actual creature that exists just like a tiger does, right? Yeah, yeah. It's not like I have a lot of lore about the possum exactly it's history with my people or anything like that exactly so i gave it i i was initially going to give it a one but the the lore got bumped up because there was a a a twist added when we watched the movie mongolian death worm a sci-fi original i recommend it to everyone i do not (laughs) (laughs) when you're in the right mood that is apparently it was filmed in texas yeah i'm I'm gonna go into that a little (laughs) bit later in the pop culture section too (laughs) but yeah they they did add a lore aspect to that to the creature in that movie which is it was it's a guardian for genghis khan's tomb his his lost tomb his lost tomb so which so that happened to be in like a power plant I, it was never really clear what the building was. I think it was a power plant, and it happened to be in the basement. I don't. Yeah, know. it was. It was. It yeah. was a. Oh my god. Moment. <laughs> so yeah, that because that's out there now. It's out in the mainstream. That it adds to the lore. So it bumped it up, point uh, five. So it's total one point five for mystique and lore. I mean, my 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 comments are gonna echo yours. I, I could never really find a specific meaning that was attributed to the creature. It's sort of like how Skunk Ape was rooted as having uh, like some sort of explanation from the Seminoles as being a guardian or protector. There never was any sort of instance that the Deathworm had that sort of relevance to the culture. Just sort of was that it was it was out there and could kill you. And a lot of people had encounters with it. The thing that was really getting at me was that Andrew's retelling in, in his book about it being so culturally significant and it, it was just it's just so odd to me that being such a powerful figure in in the culture that there isn't some sort of mythos or like story behind its creation or at least maybe something that's never been transferred to to western information or anything it was it was very difficult to find anything and then the the only other thing that i could settle on was the the sci-fi movie mongolian deathworm and exactly <laughs> it being attributed to a guardian of genghis khan's last tomb so i ranked it exactly at a one and a half as well it needs work <laughs> excellent the first time ever that a sci-fi original has done any good to anything <laughs> these sci-fi sci-fi originals need to uh continue pumping out the the mythical creature movies you know we need a whole a whole weekend a cryptid weekend on sci-fi for for anybody that still has cable and i'm sorry for, for that <laughs> So then I imagine my scoring of cunning intelligence is probably going to relate very similar to yours based on the lore and mystique. But how did you go for cunning and intelligence? So in my notes, I wrote, it just acts like a big dumb worm. (laughs) 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 I mean, it's not out to get you or anything like that. It's got built in defenses, you know, even if it's an instant death, whatever. It's just a worm trying to live its life, you know, trying to live its best life. And people, I think, I think you just explained to me. People are out there co- trying to find it, and it's like, look, I'm just trying to survive on these poisonous roots. Leave me alone. Yeah. yeah. So just trying to die by this well. <laughs> just leave me be. So you know, just give it a one. I went the same route. My my understanding of the creatures there does not seem to be any sort of hidden motive or anything related to it. It's just an animal that is trying to live its life in the desert. Doesn't seem to hunt people. I, I never. I never came across any sort of evidence that it was actively after people like sleeping in a tent or something in the desert and it came in to attack you. More of the cases of it attacking people were as a defensive act. 
So it, it was sort of a, a resort that it had to, to go to to protect itself. Some things I did see that maybe it attacked a camel and planted its eggs in the camel. <laughs> and my ideas of, of the egg planting in the camel may be that if it doesn't kill the creature and the animal is able to continue on, it helps spread its eggs throughout the desert to help then breed with other death worms that are throughout the desert. So uh, as an ability to expand its gene pool, I guess. Yeah, you don't want to do so, inbreeding. Too much yeah, Too much of that. Certain, I mean, inbred de- death worm? Can you imagine <laughs> the strength of that thing? <laughs> we are not meant to know the powers of that creature. So the other thing that I looked into is, or that I saw was that rainfall seems to be able to draw it from the ground and up. So I guess sort of like a, a normal worm that yeah. it, it comes to the surface upon rainfall. However, annually rainfall in the Gobi Desert seems to be about seven and a half inches. So it's probably not too often that it's that it's fallen victim to that old rainfall trick. Because of the idea that it could be spreading its gene pool around by implanting its eggs into other animals as they slowly die, or uh, I gave it a, a one. As I mean, that's as low as it could go, I guess. So <laughs> well put. Maybe it helped from being a zero. <laughs> Zeros are a reserve for the the worst of the worst. Mothman. Should have. Uh, we can, in we can re- retcon, <laughs> retcon our scores. He's the he's the one that can change. Her <laughs> eyes are still on you, Mothman. You have not left our gaze. <laughs> so my my favorite topic now there of the grading scale for the rubric of power, the impact on pop culture. <sighs> And I, I imagine you probably took the same route, very much so the emphasis of impact on American pop culture, not definitely not Mongolian <laughs> culture. Well, for one thing, I don't know unless, anything unless you did. about <laughs> Mongolian culture. <laughs> so maybe it has affected them in a way. The only thing I know is from Andrew Chapman in the 1920s, and I don't, <laughs> I don't think those things are true anymore. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, first of all, I have to say, how does, how does this thing, if it has it in its name, Mongolian deathworm, how does this creature that supposedly only exists in Mongolia is well known amongst the Mongolians? How does this information spread out and become so viral that everyone just knows about it or, or even, even they might not know it by that word, Mongolian deathworm, but they have other depictions of it in media of some sorts whereas the skunk cape does not get its credit it stays it remains in florida and everyone just says it's a knockoff bigfoot i can't believe it or that it is just bigfoot <laughs> i mean even even the the news news article earlier from the, the bigfoot sightings by state clearly lumping skunk ape in well they clearly there. don't know anything about the skunk ape okay <laughs> <laughs> so the pop culture i mean so the thing is, I'm 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 bringing in all the things that I thinking back on them. I'm thinking, oh, maybe this was influenced by that, but I have no proof, right? So right now, for example, the again the Moldorm from Zelda, they kind of well, I guess they don't live underground, but I don't know that little artist drawing, even though. Ivan probably stole it from them. The Japanese probably <laughs> got the idea from Mongolia anyways. It, it's been said that the sandworms in Dune were inspired by the Mongolian deathworm. By MDW. Yeah, I saw that too, which is pretty crazy to me that, I mean, I guess it's possible. You know? Right. Frank Herbert just scrolling across some Mongolian culture <laughs> and it's like, oh, I need this in my story. Yeah. But I'm not going sausage size. I am going <laughs> the titan of Mongolian death worms. Yeah. And then there's the sandworms in Beetlejuice. In Beetlejuice, yep. Um, oh, I guess as far as doing though, then he's then he tops it by having people ride him. I think. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, and you can control them. I guess whatever. Yeah. There is a. a, a <laughs> the spice must flow. <laughs> there's a Zelda-like game for the PlayStation, the original PlayStation, called Alundra, and. They have creatures in there that pop up from the sand and they look like worms and they spit stuff at you. They spit, you know, to cause harm to the the character. I'm thinking that's a death worm definitely inspired. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's 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 I just can't believe this thing has spread and it's been under my nose all this time. I've never even noticed. 
Then, of course, the classic movie, Tremors. I mean, come on. That's got to be somehow somebody heard of the Death Worm and said, let's make a movie about underground creatures that can detect vibrations from above. Uh-huh. And, and then they said, let's make six more after this. <laughs> and then somewhere in between there, they said, let's make a TV series out of this, too. <laughs> yeah, I don't acknowledge those, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's what you don't like the one where it was an old wild west town, and and what's the guy's name? I can't think of his name. The one character that's in all of them, he's yeah. playing his ancestor back in oh the God. wild west, and then they deal with the the graboids in the wild west. They kill it with like dynamite and shit. <laughs> but I don't know. There's a I didn't bother to write this down because I was whatever. But there's a heavy metal song by a heavy metal band titled death worm although the lyrics don't mention anything about a death worm so i don't know what that's about there's an actual song about the mongolian death worm on youtube by some group i again i didn't write any of this down yeah. because i don't want to give them any hits <laughs> it was it was it was like a a, a puppet <laughs> was sort of singing about being a, a a death worm i guess it was cute they were definitely going for something and, viral and that but... and that was a pretty recent video too it sort of it sort of reminded me of like what does the fox say sort of yeah. like music. Yeah, there's supposedly a well-known rap song that mentions it according yep. to some website, yeah. but I don't know what rap song it's, that is. Specifically, a website dealing with traveling to Mongolia. Like that was my favorite part <laughs> of it. But they just say a, a known rap star saying about it. But please, Mongolian travel site, tell us who this rap star is. Yeah. And then, and um, of course, the hidden Tupac tracks, of course, the (laughs) Mongolian death worm film. I mean, that 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 was what sealed the deal. You know, I mentioned to you earlier, I'm not a young child. I am a young, I am a young, I am a young teenage teeny bopper. So so I watch TV shows from the CW. (laughs) And so there's a show called The 100. I'm not going to explain what the show is about, but there is a part where they're walking in desert like earth and there's these weird sand creatures that come out worm-like creatures and they will implant eggs in a person or whatever these i'm i'm sure i missed a few because i didn't think too hard on worm-like creatures i'd have to dig into all the media but i didn't realize how much of that stuff was out there but because Mm -hmm. but because they're they're not outward they're yeah None of them are given. Was, none of them are given. Say exactly what we're gonna say. <laughs> none of them are given the name, the Mongolian death worm, or just death worm, but the concept is there. And I feel like either they're ripping off the concept, or they're just coming to um, a similar idea, and it's like a coevolution, right? <laughs> like they, yeah, they yeah. just came to the same idea, even though they've never heard of it or whatever. I think because of this, because they don't give credit to the actual death worm it can never be confirmed if they if it was an inspiration or not i gave it a 2.5 2.5 okay decent uh impact on pop culture adequate as the rubric of power says a little bit actually above adequate since it's a half yeah two and a half my delving into pop culture very similar one thing that i did see about the sci-fi mongolian death worm movie uh, like you said it was filmed in texas and I looked into it because there was Texas had a uh, sort of like a movie initiative, sort of like how at the end of a lot of TV shows, specifically, I think like Walking Dead, it has like this big like symbol for Georgia. Yeah, because uh, it's filmed there. So a lot of states have specific initiatives. They set aside state money uh, in the form of a budget to try to draw in TV series or movies to film there with the idea then of creating jobs in the state and then helping that media then promote the state. So I guess Texas was going through a little bit of some issues with their budget and they decided to cut tens of millions of dollars reserved for the the movie initiative. And then the article that I read, they even called out the movie Mongolian Death Worm (laughs) as being, in in your own words, uh, Professor Dogshit, (laughs) so that it was so bad that it sort of made the whole initiative pointless that the idea being these are the type of movies that are being made in texas why are we spending our money on this (laughs) a lot of a lot of other things were being made in um in texas as part of this initiative but then they would later on move their production to some other state uh, where they could get a better deal really mongolian death worm hurting 
<laughs> popular culture here <laughs> and just shredding the budget of Texas with its horribleness. Um, that should, that should and, knock and down them... a point or two. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I just thought that was that was interesting that uh, specifically the movie was related to uh, initiative in Texas and then they second-guessed it because of the quality of movies that were coming out of it. Interesting stuff. Other things looked at, again, like Tremors, like you, hard to miss the relation there. Other thing that I find that makes these cryptids so damn marketable, the beer legacy lives on. <laughs> so Chronicle Brewing Company makes a Mongolian deathworm beer. It is an imperial sour. Have you ever had a sour before, um, Angel? I'm pretty sure they're all sour to me. Uh, specifically, ones that are classified as sour, I, I don't have the palate for them. I hate them. <laughs> They're horrible, but that's here and there. But the Mongolian Deathworm has a 7.5 alcohol by volume. And actually, for Chronicle Brewing Company, it's the fourth and final installment in their cryptid series that they did. They released one on Geff, the Talking Mongoose, the Loveland Frogman, the Flatwoods Monster, and then finished it with Mongolian Deathworm. So they're jumping all over from America to Mongolia in their beers. Mm. I don't know. I've never heard of any of those. <laughs> yep. But I've never seen Mongolian Deathworm for sale. Um, it looks like, to me, it came in a can, and it just showed the Mongolian Deathworm, like, open mouth of the worm. It was very... I didn't like the graphic on it. It was very <laughs> hard to discern that it was a Deathworm. It took me a while to even realize that's what it was. I thought it was like a target, like a, <laughs> like a aim, aiming at a target or something like yeah. that. That, on top of it being an Imperial Sour, doesn't doesn't gel well with me. I think overall, my thoughts were the same, that the Mongolian deathworm seems to have impacted culture, but the name never translated. The death nor the worm never became part of anything. Yeah. So for me, the impact was a one and a half. Oof. Yeah. But hey, it has a beer named after it, so <laughs> maybe that's what gave it the extra half. So then out of the rubric of power for myself, I added up to a 12, mainly on the front end there, holding the deathworm strong, old MDW double fours how about you i have a 10 a 10 so that adds up to 22 we average our scores not enough to dethrone skunk ape we have 11 for the mongolian deathworm old mdw just fallen short of skunk ape but trounces mothman <laughs> I think I think he had a nine. I can't remember his score. Was I, so poor. I'm pretty sure a lot of the ones we're gonna do will beat up the Mothman. <laughs> Maybe by intentionally so. I don't know. I may be so uh, jaded now by his <laughs> abilities that I want to drive him further into the ground. <laughs> oh man! Oh, the Mothman. I mean, I'm, I'm a vindictive judge. So <laughs> the Mothman. You know, he could he could make a, a comeback just not on this show <laughs> <laughs> yep. and and again it's it's like a horrible game of hide and seek with him i just hope he doesn't pop his head up again because it's <laughs> probably a bridge that's going to collapse somewhere in america's failing infrastructure <laughs> which has apparently been so since the 60s <laughs> if not sooner <laughs> so then any any final thoughts or uh really anything about deathworm and how we know him I, for me he scored much higher than i thought he would initially going into it which uh seems to be quite a a normal thing to be happening <laughs> never would have thought that skunk ape would have gotten a 12 and a half and now mdw getting 11 just one and a half off he a close effort good try mdw yeah i mean for me the death worm it was reading about it I just, it was more like I'm reading about some animal that exists. I don't see why we have to go looking for it. Just assume that it exists and it stays out of the way and let the Mongolian people do their thing. That's all I have to say. I got that sense of it too. It was more very of a, of a, the idea that it's out there and there's no reason to look for it because we know it's there. Sort of yeah, the way that they were treating it and that there is no grander explanation for it. It's not some mythological entity that is there to bring the worst days or save people or do anything, really. It's just there to exist. Yeah, it's not it's um, not like it's an so. evolved human or anything like that. Yeah, not a uh, <laughs> the Phoenicians didn't bring domesticated worms to the Gobi Desert and then they escaped and evolved into uh, uh, the death worm. 
then it happened. So it was a cool creature to look into. I liked him. I thought, that, yeah, just the idea of him being so strong and so small was a uh, neat little dude. Neat little sausage. <laughs> yeah. Just don't want to touch him. <laughs> Please don't touch that sausage. <laughs> so once again, we are calling upon the aid of the spokesman of the supernatural, Jonathan Frakes. At him on Twitter, at, at Jonathan Frakes, and maybe we can get a response from the spokesman as to what his ideas of the Mongolian deathworm are. Maybe we could have him, you know, give his thoughts as to how strong it is, if it if he thinks it's real, whatever Mr. Frakes' ideas are. It would be great to have his input on old MDW. Yeah, more importantly, if it's a reptile or a polychaete, because we need to figure this thing out. Our listeners demand this. <laughs> we demand this, Mr. Frakes. <laughs> give us to, the answers answer that we deserve. <laughs> <laughs> we need the spokesman to speak out. Be the voice of us all. Bring down your gavel. <laughs> Weigh in on this situation. That, he, he should be the ultimate judge. He, he, he can give us our, his scores on the rubric of power. <laughs> would, uh, would his scores be a little bit weighted? So like like grading tests, like <laughs> the bell curves or something. He, he equals like three people. <laughs> I think he would just remove our scores and just put his. <laughs> it, would, it would just be his score then. <laughs> Maybe that's not such a great idea. <laughs> Just like uh, the cryptid crackers. Gotta gotta <laughs> workshop these ideas sometimes <laughs> before we just blurt them out there. Yeah. Thank you again for joining us through another episode of Cracking Cryptids and Curios. Next time, we will be investigating a filthy fellow by the name of Hogzilla and seeing exactly what the deal with him is. Is he pig? Is he Zilla? We don't know. We'll find out. Or is he man? Is he an escaped Phoenician pig man that has decimated the American Midwest? We'll find out on Cracking Cryptids and Curios, Hogzilla. Stay curious. <laughs> <laughs>